Welcome to the Rock Community Church. Pastor John Warehouse is teaching from the book of Acts. Enjoy today's sermon. Well, uh, you'll notice a couple of little things a little different. We've got the cross up here for, for today. Uh, thanks, John. Um, for today, we are going to, um, well, what you're going to see about this message is we are in holy ground. Um, We've been going through the whole process of, of Peter giving a message on the day of Pentecost, telling the people this is the, the last days. This is the time between the coming of our Lord and His second coming again. And so what he has done is what we've kind of uh, preached on uh, in these weeks uh, as we've been going through this wonderful place in Scripture. And that is that Peter has been preaching about the resurrection of the, of the Savior of this world, of Jesus Christ. He's, preached, he's been preaching that Jesus Christ uh, had died, that He has risen from the dead, and He'll never die again. His message has been clear, as we're going to see today. And as I say to you, I believe that this place in Scripture is the holiest of all places within all of Scripture. I know I, I say that too often. That makes it kind of, uh, uh, you know, it just kind of doesn't carry its punch. But I want you to know something about where we are in Scripture today in Acts. By the way, we're in Acts chapter 2. I want you to know something about this place. This is the formation. This is the beginning. This is the start of the church. And you can rest assured that Peter is not going to pull any punches. As we've already learned, they have been giving orders. They have been given orders of how to formulate the church. And that, that orders have been pass along from one generation to the next generation until it has fallen upon our shoulders. But here at this place that we are seeing here in the book of Acts, Peter is challenged with a question. I believe it's the question of questions within the Word of God. He is challenged with the question, what shall we do? What must we do to be saved? He has pierced their hearts. Actually, the Lord has. And so they come to him with that question. I want you to read with me in verse 24. <clears throat> part of, part of uh, Peter's message was this. God raised him up again. God put an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him, talking about Jesus Christ, to be held in it death's power. In verse 36, Peter says then at the end of his message, therefore let all the house of Israel know for certain this, that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you've crucified. In verse 36, when he says Lord and Christ, the noun Lord refers to Jesus Christ. It also refers to Yahweh or God. It is the same word Lord in Greek, K-Y-R-O-S, that is used of God in different places in this particular chapter. Look at verse 21, one of the powerful verses that Peter quotes. It says, And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, in other words, on the name of God, shall be saved. Look at verse 34. Peter says, It was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself. David says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand. Now look at verse 39, part of his message of today. 
For the promise is for you, and it's for your children, and it's for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God shall call to Himself. And so what Peter has been doing is what we have done all along. And that is he's making another powerful declaration. Thank you. A powerful statement of the deity of Jesus Christ. Paul himself said in the book of Philippians, the second chapter, the ninth, 10th, and 11th verse, I'm sure you know it. The moment I start reading this verse, you're going to understand and know it. Paul writes, For this reason also, God highly exalted Jesus Christ and bestowed upon Him, bestowed upon Jesus, the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee will bow, those who are in heaven, those who are on the earth, and those who are under the earth. Finally, he says in the 11th verse, that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord or God to the glory of God the Father. What Peter said so moved the people that in verse 37, it is said, when they heard this, they were pierced to their hearts. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? And with that, they asked the the question of questions within all of Scripture. This is, in my opinion, the most important question that will be asked upon any group of people. What shall I do to be saved? And the answer to this question is the most important answer in all of Scripture. It's the same question, by the way, that, that both a jailer and Paul himself asked. As we're going through the study, it's, it's found in uh, Acts uh, chapter uh, 16 and, uh, and Acts chapter 22. And, and when the jailer, you, you really don't need to turn, but you may if you wish, of course. But the, Paul and Silas were in jail, and they were singing hymns unto the Lord. And right around midnight, there became an earthquake, and, and the doors came open, and the chains fell off of them. The jailer immediately saw that what had taken place, and he, he wanted to kill himself. And Paul yelled out to him, Don't do yourself any harm. We're still here. And the jailer came to Paul and said, What must I do to be saved? Realizing, recognizing that something amazing had just happened that was of God. Paul himself, when he was on the road to Damascus, when he gave his testimony in Acts chapter 22, Paul said the same question, what must I do to be saved? So make no question about it. Make no mistake about it. This question is tantamount to your life and my life. It is, it is of great importance to us as a church. How you ask that question, if you ask it, and how it is answered and how you receive it, as you're going to see, means everything to us. Let's read in Acts chapter 2 from verse 37 to verse 40. And I want you to know that, that we are going to be doing a series in this place in Scripture. It's, this is, in my opinion, as you'll see, the most important of all places. Watch what he says. It says in verse 37, Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent. Let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God shall call to Himself. And with many other words, Peter solemnly testified, kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. That is a message for us today, folks. It is a message for us to understand and comprehend. What is it that we believe? What is it that we understand and know about this one, Jesus Christ? Let's pray first, please. Father, if ever there was a time that I would ask you to take me and move me aside, it is this morning. It is this message to these people. I I pray with all of my heart, Father, that I will not get in your way at all. That I carry no agenda into this. I have no no part of of what must be said. I want to hear from you just as much as everybody here wants to hear from you. We deeply believe, Father, that if we can sense that we're hearing your heart, we'd be more inclined to want to follow where you want us to go. And so, Father, I I pray that you would move me aside. And I pray with all of my heart that you would open up our eyes, open up our hearts, our minds, that we might behold wonderful things from your most precious word. I pray this in the precious and wonderful and powerful name of our Lord and Savior, this one who is the Christ, Jesus, your Son, Father. We come in his name. Amen. Well, make no mistake about it. This question, what shall I do? What shall we do? And Peter's answer is critical. It is critical to every church that opens its door. Every church that says, listen, I want to give you an opportunity to better your life. I want to give you an opportunity to know more about eternal things. This question right here is the most critical. It's the most critical for your faith and my faith. It's the most critical for life and death itself. It is an eternal question, and its answer has amazing ramifications. Think about it. Just think about it for a moment. To answer this question incorrectly or to interpret it incorrectly, no matter how sincere the person is that is answering your question, it could take a person down a path that would ultimately lead them to eternal damnation or would take them on a path that would lead them to heaven itself and an eternity with God. This question and its answer is critical because it is the very foundation of the church. It is the very foundation of our faith. And so when Peter was asked this question, you can rest assured that he gave them the best answer that he knew. In verse 37, the verb cut or pierce in Greek is K-A-T-E-N-Y-G-E-S-A-N. It simply means to strike or to prick violently or to stun. Obviously, the convincing work of God the Holy Spirit was at work within the hearts of those who were hearing Peter's message. And it made a great, his message must have made a great impact upon their very soul. Because it says they were pierced to their hearts. Remember, this is the very promise that Jesus Christ made. He says, I need to go away because when I go away, I will send another who will be with you. And it says in John chapter 16, verse 8, He, the Holy Spirit, 
when He comes, He will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. And so these people were convicted. Their question, if you look at it closely, has a ring of desperation to it. If they truly had missed Him as the Messiah, if they had a part of executing Him, if He was who He says He was, and if now He sits at the right hand of God the Father to judge the living and the dead, they had to ask, what shall we do? Look what Peter told them. They heard clearly. Look at verse 34. Second chapter. Peter says, it wasn't David who ascended into heaven. And what he was doing was, was straightening out a misconception of Psalm 16. Psalm 16, many people believed up to that point, as Peter gives us understanding of that psalm, it's not David talking about himself. David is talking about the Messiah. And so, Peter says, it wasn't David who ascended into heaven, but David himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And any Jewish person knew that's not a good place to be if you are an enemy of this person. Because all of a sudden now he has authority over life and death over your soul. And they understood that. And so this question that they asked had a a ring of, of desperation to it. What must we do? Listen. To realize that you and I are a sinner. To realize that we are hopeless and helpless without God is essential to our faith. For anyone to preach the gospel, you must convict the people, the listeners of sin, before they can see a need for the Savior. That is, that is, that is just basic to any kind of preaching. Anytime uh, any kind of teaching the Word of God. It is ultimate. It is, it, is, it is the utmost important that you and I know for certain that we've all sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of our sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in His Son, Jesus Christ. It is, it is paramount that you and I understand that whole process. In, in doing this study, there's a... On our website, I don't know if you ever go uh, on our website at all, but on our website, there is a on the left-hand side, there's a column, and it has suggested reading. There's some great articles in there. If you kind of click on that twice, and uh, I know very little about a computer, but I know enough about that, and you can, you'll get on and you'll see some different messages. And I was telling my wife, talking about her as I went through this, this message, and, you know, uh, I don't want to get super spiritual about it, but this week was the toughest preparation I've ever had for any message I've ever done. I've had headaches all week. I had migraines where I couldn't see some of the page. Then I got a backache. And listen, it's not because I'm doing any work. I do no heavy lifting. All of a sudden, I I just felt like this attack. And and so I I was talking to Kay about the message, and I was saying, this is some of the things I'm thinking about saying. And she said, have you ever thought about reading? There's an article in our suggested reading on our website. And I went to it, and it was written by a, a man by the name of Don Matzat. I don't know him. I don't know if he's alive. I don't know if he's dead. I don't know where he lives. I don't know anything about him, but I'd love to know him. He writes the most amazing things about what we just spoke of just a moment ago, about sin and, and that we need to know. 
he writes this. Let me read to you a part of, of his, of his, uh, this writing that he did about, uh, he calls it guiltless good news. Guiltless good news. The deformed theology of a seeker sensitivity church. He says this. We are living in a society that is full with the concept of self-esteem. The gurus of humanistic psychology have convinced us that feeling good about ourselves is one of our basic felt needs. A positive self-image has become essential, foundational for our growth and success. These are my words now. I want to stop here. When I was a kid, all I did was want to play sports. Played on teams all the time. Recreational leagues, all sorts of leagues. Back when I was a kid, at the end of the season, there was only one team that won. All the rest of us that lost, we went home crying. Or, or we felt bad about it. Personally, I went home saying, that's not going to happen to me ever again. I want to get better. Now today, as I understand it, we have leagues and kids play and we have trophies for everyone. God forbid that we hurt anyone's feelings out there. Everybody, yeah, that's the truth. God forbid, God forbid that we might hurt our little child's self-esteem. Well, you know, I, I, my, my wife says, don't make this about yourself. But, but you know what? I didn't do it so bad. I grew up. I, I handled those defeats okay. It actually made me a better athlete the following year. He goes on to say this. Here's the here's the, here's the caveat to it. Many churches have attempted to Christianize such thoughts today. They've adopted the concept of seeker sensitivity in the desire to grow their churches. The gurus of church growth movement have convinced pastors and church leaders that we must be sensitive to the felt needs of our culture. Thus, seeker sensitivity has become the foundation of church growth and church success. My words, make the non-believer feel comfortable in here. For God forbid that we would make anybody come in here and not feel comfortable. There are churches now that say, you know, for those of us that come to church all the time, don't bring your Bibles because there might be some seekers in coming in and if they don't have a Bible, they're going to feel out of place. So don't bring your Bible. What? Our our position as believers is to make a non-believer feel loved, but the way you make a person feel loved is to tell them the truth, to allow them to know that there is something that they are missing, rather than to allow them to come into church, feel good about themselves and leave, and then, God forbid, something happened to them, them, they die, and then what? Listen to what he says. When you join a culture filled with the desire for self-esteem and a church seduced by the concept of seeker sensitivity, he says you create a diabolical mix. Such a combination demands that the Christian message be adjusted or altered. The felt need for self-esteem is not compatible with the biblical concept of sin and depravity. And then he quotes one who is kind of the pioneer of developing the concept of seeker sensitivity. 
He says, Dr. Robert Schuller, a self-esteem advocate and pioneer in developing the concept of seeker sensitivity, has put it this way. And these are Dr. Dr. Robert Schuller's words out of one of his books. Dr. Schuller writes, I don't think that anything that has been done in the name of Christ and under the banner of Christianity that has that has proven more destructive to human personality and hence counterproductive to the evangelical enterprise than the unchristian and uncouth strategy of attempting to make people aware that they're lost and in a sinful condition. I read that and I couldn't believe it. People, the churches today that have that concept are going to have to stand before Peter one day. No, more importantly, they'll stand before John the Baptist. No, more importantly, they're going to stand before our Lord. John the Baptist and our Lord Himself had a message that both of them gave, and it was this, Repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. And so when they asked the question after being convicted that they were in sin, they asked the perfect question, What shall we do? What must we do to be saved? If you look back at Acts chapter 2, and you see in verses 38, 39, and 40, Peter's answer was direct. He said to them, you need to repent. Each one of you needs to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. For what? For what? The what? The forgiveness of what? Your sin. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He says in verse 39, For the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Now, we're going to study this in the weeks to come, but the promises for you, your children, and those who are far off are the Gentiles. As many as the Lord our God will call to Himself. And then it says in verse 40, With many other words, Peter solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved. Be saved from this perverse generation. And that's the cry that we make from this pulpit. This is the cry that we make from this church. We're asking people to be saved from this perverse generation in which we live. The first thing that Peter asked them to do was to repent. The word repent in Greek is M-E-T-A-N-O-E-S-A-T-E. It means change your heart. It means change your outlook on life. It means reverse your ways. Stop going in this direction and now start going in that direction towards the cross. Come to the Savior. You see, true repentance will produce a change of one's life. It'll produce a change of your conduct. It'll produce a change of your outlook. Just like with them, Peter says, you at one time rejected the Messiah. I want you to change that attitude. Now I want you to trust in Him for your salvation. You see, repentance and forgiveness was a constant part of the apostles' message. It was given over and over and over again. As I've already mentioned to you, in, in, the, in the book of Matthew, the third chapter and the fourth chapter, in the third chapter, John the Baptist says, Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In the fourth chapter, Jesus Christ preached, Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In each case, repentance is followed. Well, take a look. There's a, a bunch of verses we could look at in the book of Acts, the second chapter, third, fifth, eighth, and many more, as we're going to see when we go through the study in the book of Acts. But just for convenience sakes, look, look at one of them. Look at chapter 5 with me, verse 31. Actually, it's, it, it begins in verse 28. It begins, well, we're gonna, we'll build upon it. But they say in verse 28 of chapter 5, 
talking to the apostles, we gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name. And behold, you filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Peter and the apostles answered and said to them, we must obey God rather than you. The God of our Father raised up Jesus, whom you put to death by hanging him on the cross. Now watch verse 31. It's key. He is the one whom God exalted to his right hand as a prince, as a savior, to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Repentance and forgiveness. It is the very standard of what we teach in the word of, in, out of every pulpit that opens its doors and calls itself a church. You see, in true Christian salvation, there must be a change of heart. There must be repentance. One commentator wrote, I loved what he said. I'm going to repeat it to you a few times. Listen to it. False repentance, he says, dreads the consequence of sin. Whereas, he says, true repentance dreads the sin itself. False repentance dreads the consequences of our sin. True repentance dreads the sin itself. We ought to get to a place where we just don't sin because we realize that it goes directly against what our God would want from us. He has asked you and me to be set apart. He has asked you and me, just as He did to the apostles, He has given us the orders to formulate the church. Now, they did that. They started the church. And the question that was asked of them is, what must we do? And Peter gave the answer. And that answer was true then and it's true today. It can't change. They passed along that message to the next generation and the next generation gave it to the next generation until you and I have it. And we are to be careful with this message. We are to be careful what they ask and we are, care- are to be careful what we say salvation is so that we don't, we don't move it off in a direction that God didn't want it to go. We got to hold true to what was preached by Peter. And so we, we need to understand what true repentance is where we will hate sin because sin is an offense to our God. And so after repentance, Peter then says to them, which is a very deep thing he asks them to do, look at verse 38. He says, I want you to repent. And then he says, I want each of you, each single, every single one of you to be baptized. Now that's difficult for us to grasp, grasp perhaps. The magnitude of that challenge to each one of them is, is amazing. Number one, what he asks them to do is to individually, each one of you needs to be baptized. It's not a, 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 a group thing. You, you and I cannot pass along our faith to our family members just because they live under our roof. You and I are not Christians just because we have come from a Christian family. We're not Christians because we live in the United States of America. It is a decision that each one of us must make. And so when he says you need to repent, you need to change your ways, and then each one of you needs to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And that was a major deal. Because what he was asking them to do was to make a public stance of what they believed. That's what baptism was or did. The best way of understanding that is, turn with me to John chapter 9. Great, great place. You remember when we were, hopefully you remember, when we were studying through the book of John, Jesus Christ came upon this man that was born blind, remember? And he heals him from being blind. And this miracle took place and, 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 and they were wondering 
who did this? What happened to him? And, he, and, and the man says, and the man that was born blind says, you know, I don't know. I was just told to go and do this, and I come back, and, and now I can see. And so the the religious leaders of that day that they didn't they didn't want to believe that this took took place that Jesus did such a thing. And so they asked him. Oh, they said to him, no, you, you, you probably weren't born blind. Let's, let's talk to his parents. And that's where we pick it up in chapter 9 and verse 20. They called his parents in. And verse 20 says, his parents answered them and said, we know that this is our son. We know that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we don't know. Or who, who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will know what? He will do what? He'll speak for himself. This isn't a decision. This is an individual decision. This is his decision. Now, there's a lot of things in, in Scripture that I don't want to jump overboard on. But I get so disappointed in his parents. I really do. I can't imagine someone coming to me and me throwing the ball in my son's court. I can't imagine doing that. I would want to stand side by side with him no matter what he was about to go through. Well, verse 22 tells us why his parents did this. His parents said this, it says in verse 22, because they were afraid of the... When it says the Jews, it's talking about the, the, the religious leaders, not the, not the nationality. Because the Jews had already agreed, if anyone confessed him, meaning Jesus, to be the Christ, they were to be put out of the synagogue. Folks, that was no small thing. To be put out of the synagogue, to not be a Jew and not be a Gentile, they were in absolute no man's land. They wouldn't be able to make a living. They would have had to be beggars and just die slowly in that process. And so they were very much afraid. The Jews had a very wonderful, unique community. Rich cultural beliefs. Rich, uh, deep uh, religious her heritage and history. But here they are, a group of people who rejected Jesus Christ as a blasphemer. And ultimately, as Peter said to them, you were a part in putting him to death. And so what Peter does is he calls on them to turn their back on the rejection of Jesus Christ and to embrace Him as their Messiah. And so by calling on each one of them, each of you individually must be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, Peter does not allow for any secret Christians walking around. He wanted them to stand up in what they believed in. He wanted them to make a statement of who they are in Christ because He is now starting the church. Look with me at Matthew chapter 10. Peter also understood this, I'm sure. In Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 and 33, Jesus Christ is speaking. And our Lord and Savior says this, Therefore, everyone, in other words, any one of you, who confesses me before man, in other words, before people on this earth, I will also confess you before my Father is in heaven. Who amongst us here would not want that to be done? I want to say, Lord, I love you. I confess you before these people because I long for him to go to his Father and say, look at that big guy, big guy with a nose over there, balding us all get out. He says he loves me. Therefore, I confess him to you, Father. And he goes on to say in the next verse, but anyone who ever does not Whoever denies me before men, Jesus says, I also will deny them before my Father who is in heaven. You see, true repentance, people, is not changing your mind about your sin. True repentance is changing your mind about your Savior. 
True repentance, true repentance is not changing your mind about your sin. It's changing your mind about your Savior, loving Him, realizing that your sin is an affront to Him, realizing that the evil one, Satan, would love for you and me to be soft on sin so that, that the people in the society in which we live, they won't know what's, what's sin and what's not. we got churches that have so aligned themselves with the world that they say it's fine, you... You can have sex outside of marriage. Just be careful. Just be careful. That's not what the Bible says. There are people out there who say, well, you can do this or you can do that. Just be careful. That's not what the Bible says. True repentance says that you hate sin. You come towards the Savior and you try to, you try to take sin out of your life. So repentance and baptism in Christ was for each one of them, making their faith very personal, making their faith individual, and having a public identification with Christ. Such a drastic public act would help weed out any conversions that were not genuine. Peter made accepting Jesus Christ difficult, not easy. We live in a society today where we try to make it very easy on people. As we're going to see in the weeks to come, the rich young ruler, when he came to Jesus Christ, and he said, you know, what must I do to be saved? And he says, do this, 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 this. And the guy said, I've done all these things. By the way, Jeff, it's so wonderful to see you here. I love you very much. Carla, you as well. pray you're feeling really good. How are you feeling? You okay? need to pray for Jeff. He had a, a tumor, right? So we live in a society today that says, it's, it's just come to Christ. It's simple. It's easy. And Jesus, when he talked to this rich young ruler, he says, you've got to do these things. He says, well, I've done all these things. They're good. He says, then you sell everything you have and, and, and follow me. And to which the, the rich young ruler did what? He walked away. You know, today, pastors would go, oh, no, 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 no. Darn, I'm just kidding. Come on back. Come on. Come on. We, we need you in church. Jesus Christ, as we're going to see in the weeks to come, his disciples came to him and said, Lord, everyone's, everyone's leaving. Everyone's leaving. What should we do? And he says, do you want to go too? And do you remember their response? No, you're the one that has the words to eternal life. Let me tell you why. This is my thoughts on it. So it's, it's not worth much more than just my thought. But think it through. You know why I believe Peter made it difficult to come to Christ? When he was formulating the church, this was it. This was the this was the, the start of it, the rock solid foundation of the church. And he needed, and he knew that he needed people who were serious about their faith, just as we do here. Because he knew very well that there were going to be trials ahead of every single one of them. Difficulties would come. And he needed people of faith who would see their way through these trials, who would not turn tail and run when any trouble hit them or, or any difficulties came their way, but they would find their faith in Christ. And so he didn't want anyone to be a secret Christian. He wanted people who stood on their faith and wouldn't turn tail and run, as I've already just said, when difficulties came. 
He wanted those people that were starting the church to take their faith to the next generation so that one day it would be passed along to you and me. What do I want as your pastor? I want you and I to be so grounded in what we believe that we will not one day turn tail and run, but that we will just be a group of people that stand firm in what we believe. And when people in this world out there in which we live hears about us, they'll want to know what's so different about these people. And when they come and they hear about what's so different, we will tell them about our Savior. And hopefully they will stand in awe of our belief and our trust in our Lord. And they too will fall down and worship Him, not us, but Him. That's my desire for us as a church. That's my desire for you as an individual. I don't know about you, but I'm sick and tired of these churches that, that just preach a weak gospel and just make it just simple for people to come to church and, and, and don't challenge them with the very essence of what is written within these pages. That they turn, turn to their people and say, well, there's no need bringing these in. You might offend someone that comes that doesn't have one, so we'll make it easy on the visitor. Instead of doing what we've been called to do, and that's equip you and me so that we understand what's written within these pages and know what we believe so that we can pass it along, God bless you, to your, your little girls so that we don't lead them to a bit stray. I mean, how mean would we be? How mean would, would a doctor be if he knew that someone had cancer? And he says, you're okay, don't worry about it. Just put a Band-Aid on your little forehead. Everything will be fine. No, want to know what's wrong. And we want to get to the cure of it. Folks, we want to, as a church, to be that type of church. I don't want any secret Christians amongst us. I want people who are willing to stand up at what they believe. And so every message, if you'll note, the cross is up here. I've asked them to do that. Uh, Fred, can you kind of help or someone? to? We're going to move this out of the way. Ah, I told you I hurt my back. So, so I don't have to do work. I'm not so dumb. <laughs> We'll move this out of the way. Can you bring the cross up in front there? Thanks. What I want to ask you to do is what I've asked everyone to do. In a moment, I'm going to just ask us all to wait for a second. But Thanks. <laughs> I never do any work. I, I... My whole life. The pants is the worst. What I want to ask us to do in a moment is to think through what you just heard. If you felt your heart pierced by our Lord's message and you've never come to Christ or you've never publicly proclaimed Him as your Savior, there's something healthy about doing that. So in a moment, I'm going to, I quit early. My Savior. No. Um, I quit early so that we might have this time just to reflect. Maybe dim the lights, the music. If you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, we would love to give you that opportunity, but we're not going to water it down. There's a price to be paid to come to follow Him. Once you come to know Christ, it doesn't mean your trials and your troubles will be over it. But you will have the strength to go through it. The more you know and you understand it, and we'll try to teach you about understanding it, knowing it. But I would guess there's more people like myself here. I know that I've accepted the Lord. 
I don't need to do that again. But I am sick and tired of getting beaten up by sin. And I'm just tired of it. Tired of confessing and sinning and then confessing. And I'm going to ask you to come with me and kneel before the kneel before the cross and just take our burdens and lay them here upon you. So um, if you would, would you all stand up with me right now, please? You're going to hear the chairs clack. And I'm going to come down and uh, I'm just going to kneel down here in my own self to ask the Lord to, just to kind of take this burden away from me. It's just this burden of sin. And um, if you've come to, to know Jesus Christ, would you come to the cross, kneel down here at the altar. And for those of us that just know we're believers, that just want to throw our burdens upon Him, stop carrying I'll ask you to come down and kneel with me too. And then in a, about four or five minutes, I'll, I'll close in prayer. So would you come down if you want? Church to uh, see the people down here, and probably for some of you, it's um, it's a great privilege to be a church that um, that wants to be serious about our faith. We're going to be that type of church. It's not popular today, but the fact of the matter is that Satan's trying to destroy what the apostles began and. By the grace of God, I'm not going to be a part of that. I want to stand firm upon what has been taught within the Word of God. And so for those of us that came forward this morning and 
just laid our burdens here upon this wonderful cross of our Lord. And we're going to have uh, weeks of this, of, of, of penetrating into the Word of God and seeing what it means to us as a church and not what it means to us individually. We need to, uh, we need to be a standard upon uh, faith. I stood on that with all my heart. I'm not going to waver. I'm just not. So, Father, uh, as I hear the tears um, here this morning, I, I um, ask your your care for those that are just uh, hurting. And, and Father, I, for the rest who just have come here this morning, for whatever reason, would you touch their hearts? Bless them, please, Father. Thank you that publicly we could come and confess you as our Lord and Savior. And as we move into our new sanctuary, whenever that is, dear Father, we'll have uh, more opportunities for this time of cleansing ourselves and doing what a church has been called to do. So, Father, please bless us. Bless everybody down here, everyone that didn't come. Bless us all. And may we, Father, be a church that regardless of the cost, we'll follow you. I pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Before you go, um, we don't know where we're going to be next week yet. We, uh, the, city, the city has not uh, given us permit yet. Hopefully it will come this week. Would you just check the website? If not, we'll be here. We'll let you know. But I'm sorry. Love you with all my heart. Have a great day.